There is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the twilight zone. Until now, we haven't really touched on any of the, the more comical episodes of The Twilight Zone. One for the Angels had its moments, but the tone kind of switched halfway through the episode and it became, you know, rather, rather serious and rather whimsical. So with tonight's episode, I'd say we're really seeing the first episode that has a pretty even comical tone all the way through it. but. It also had a real dark edge to it, especially near the end. So after a couple of very thought-provoking episodes with the last two, the 16mm Shrine and Walking Distance, perhaps this was Rod Serling's way of lightening the mood a touch, but not too much. I also think it's the debut of the more ironic twist ending that the Twilight Zone often had, rather than endings where you realise that everything you've been watching maybe wasn't quite as it seemed. This episode employs the kind of be careful what you wish for type of ending, with a moral sort of centre to it as well. But we'll get to more about that later, so so let's get into tonight's episode, The Escape Clause. You're about to meet a hypochondriac. Witness Mr. Walter Bedecker, age 44. Afraid of the following. Death, disease, other people, germs, draft, and everything else. He has one interest in life, and that's Walter Bedecker. One preoccupation, the life and well-being of Walter Bedecker. One abiding concern about society. That if Walter Bedecker should die, how will it survive without him? So the escape clause was first broadcast on November 6th, 1959, written by Rod Serling and directed by our old friend Mitchell Leeson, who directed the 16mm Shrine as well. Rod Serling actually adapted this from a treatment that he'd wrote called The Condemned Man Ate a Million Breakfasts, which I'll tell you a little bit more about later. It's basically the same story, but there are some minor differences. Now I think Rod Serling set up the episode quite nicely in the opening narration there. Our main character, Walter Bedeker, is a hypochondriac. He's been examined by his obviously very weary doctor. You can imagine he's been called out to Bedeker a million times before. And this is just another one of those times. You have no temperature, pressure normal, respiration normal, heart action normal, no infection, throat clear, nasal passages clear, ears clear. What about the pains in my back and side? What about four sleepless nights in a row? What about that? What about that? That, Mr. Bedecker, is psychosomatic. Psych- you mean to tell me that I'm sick only in my mind? That is my considered opinion. Mr. Bedecker, there's nothing wrong with you except these ailments you manufacture for yourself. Your pains are imaginary. Your inability to sleep is a case of nerves, nothing more. In short, Mr. Bedecker, you're a very healthy man. We also meet Bedeker's long-suffering wife, who's 
had to put up with them all these years. Now, in the original script for the episode, we did actually learn that she only married him out of pity because he told her that he had a rare form of tuberculosis and he only had a week to live, but that obviously never ended up in the episode. Bedeker himself, Walter Bedeker, was played by David Wayne. Now, he's a, a very sort of typical for the time, typical of a lot of actors you saw in the Twilight Zone. Very busy, you know, lots of television roles at that time. And he showed up in everything from the 60s Batman TV show to Dallas later on in life. But he was also in Rod Serling's follow-up to the Twilight Zone, the Night Gallery, at some point. So I'm sure Chris will be talking about that over in the Night Gallery podcast in the future. So it's in this opening act where we hear the kind of hook for the episode, the the point of it all, I suppose. And Walter Bedeker's big question is, why does a man have to die? I can't nap. Why does a man have to die? I ask you a question, Ethel. Why does a man have to die? The world goes on for millions of years, and how long is a man's life? This much, a drop, a microscopic fragment. Why can't a man live 500 years or a thousand? Why does he have to die almost the moment he's born? So it's after he he sends out this kind of question out into the ether, I suppose, that his wife leads the room and a rather big, jolly-looking gentleman called Cadwallader appears. Now, Cadwallader's played by a guy called Thomas Gomez, who I think has just a very watchable screen presence. He's just a lot of fun to watch. He's very... He's he's very jolly and he delivers his lines beautifully and it's this little two-handed exchange between Bedeker and Cadwallader that I think is the highlight of the episode for me really. It 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 sets things up really nicely and I I don't think the episode is quite as good after this finishes personally. But we we've seen it before how well Sailing can write these little two-handed exchanges, these two-person scenes where the dialogue seems to really shine. And I think this is one of those scenes where you get two really good actors who just kind of take that dialogue and run with it. And Gomez himself, Thomas Gomez, is another person who actually returns to the Twilight Zone in the future in an episode called Dust. So it's during this little two-man exchange that they get to talking and Cad Wallader offers Bedeker a deal. How about it, Mr. Bedeker? Why not? A partnership of a sort. You deed to me your so-called soul, and in exchange I give you immortality. And then indestructibility. Complete indestructibility. Nothing can hurt you. Nothing can hurt me? And I live forever? Certainly. Why not forever? Governments and institutions may disintegrate. People die. But Walter Bedeker goes on and on. Of course, we find out that Cadwallad is actually the devil. And in exchange for immortality, indestructibility, and the ability to not age, no matter how long he lives, Cadwallander wants Bedeker's soul. So there's a few bases covered here, and a couple of things that might have been exploited in a be careful what you wish for kind of story are crossed off the list, if you like. I mean, the story could have been that he's immortal, but he ages to the point of being totally useless. That could have been a twist. Or he could have got immortality and then walked out of the door and walked under a bus, you know, and and died straight away. So 
So there are a couple of things that Sailing could have employed, but he didn't, so it's quite clever on his part, and I suppose quite clever on Bedeker's part, that he seems to cover all the bases here, and he, and he makes sure his deal is pretty watertight. But Cadwallader puts one more thing into the agreement. Article 93, yes. Here it is. Well, it's in the nature of an escape clause. Your escape clause. Whereas the party of the first part upon due notification, the party of the second part... Well, I'll just give it to your thumbnail. It's simply that if you ever get tired of living, Mr. Bedecker, you can exercise this escape clause by calling upon me to uh, furnish your... Well, there go those terms again. To uh, furnish your demise, at which point I shall see to it that you are given a rapid and uncomplicated uh, departure. So with the escape clause as part of the contract, they go ahead and sign the deal. And just before they do, there's a little ad lib on the part of Thomas Gomez as Cadwallader where he, he pulls out his collar and he says, you sure keep it hot in here. And later on, Thomas Gomez says, that was too true. It was hot on that stage. And I'm not kidding when I say I felt like the devil. So Mitchell Leeson, that director, liked it, so he kept it in because obviously it fitted with Bedeker being a hypochondriac who always kept the heat up too high and so on. And I think another nice little flourish from Thomas Gomez was that once the contract was signed, all of his jolly demeanor kind of drains away. Up until now, he's been this very persuasive kind of salesman type figure, you know, coercing Bedeker into signing the agreement. But once it's done, he just does this mocking laugh and just throws the contract to the floor. He's got what he wants now. He doesn't have to keep that front up anymore. The first thing we see Bedeker do with his newfound powers is to go over to the steaming hot radiator and put his hands on it just to show that he can't actually be hurt. Now, there was a scene filmed that was supposed to be at the start of the episode where a repairman was fixing the radiator telling Bedeker that there would be enough heat to keep him warm and he tells Bedeker's wife on the way out not to touch the radiator because it would burn her hands but the whole scene ended up on the cutting room floor. So the next time we see Walter Bedeker he's at a subway station and then all of a sudden he jumps in front of a train. So this is his new scam if you like, he's purposely putting himself in harm's way and getting involved in accidents and then claiming damages from the rail companies or the bus companies and so on. But the knock-on effect of this is that now Bedeker's getting very bored. There's no thrill in it anymore for him. Once you've been through all this, there's no excitement left. Fourteen accidents. Fourteen. Wouldn't you think there'd be an element of thrill in fourteen accidents? I guess so, Walter. Well, there isn't. It's dull. There isn't the remotest element of excitement in it. In short, I'm bored with it. So that's kind of the gist of the story, really. This repellent man, Walter Bedeker, becomes even more repellent once he gets his wish to be immortal. Nothing holds any excitement for him anymore, and once he confesses all of this to his wife, he decides he's going to go up to the roof and he's going to jump down the light well of the building, which is about 14 stories high. But when he goes up to do it, his wife is trying to stop him, and she accidentally ends up falling down the light well herself. 
Walter, please come back to the apartment. I'll make you potato pancakes. Remember, you always used to love potato pancakes. Ethel, you are a potato pancake. You're as tasteless as a potato pancake. Now leave me alone. Walter, don't. Ethel, get out no. of my way. No. Out of my way. Please, Ethel. Walter. Out of my way. Walter, I'm I think that was a beautifully timed little comic moment there. He he casually lights a cigarette and looks down the light well and says, I wonder what it felt like. Very nicely played, I thought. But now his mind starts to work again. He turns himself in and says that he's murdered his wife in the hope that he'll get the electric chair, but he doesn't. And here's the big ironic twist. He doesn't get the electric chair. He gets life imprisonment without the chance of parole. So it's then that he has to invoke the escape clause. Mr. Benneker, about that escape clause, you care to utilize it now? That's a wise man. Odd thing, you look like a man having a heart attack. Just like a man having a heart attack. <laughs> Now here's the thing with the escape clause for me, the the episode as a whole, I think if I look at it with too critical an eye, which I guess I want to do with recording the podcast, it doesn't 100% hold up for me. Now don't get me wrong, I think that David Wayne is really good in it, he's a despicable character but one that you don't mind watching. He's genuinely amusing you know you you love to hate him if you like and especially in some moments where he he has these delicious little little scenes like when he he first smiles when he realizes that Cadwallader is the devil and he he kind of smiles and looks at him and says you know you're the devil aren't you just things like that I think he brings a lot to the table with that and Thomas Gomez as Cadwallader really compliments him too. Like I say, he's got this really nice, jolly demeanor and he plays a consummate salesman until he kind of drops his mask once he gets what he wants. I think the problem is for me that we don't really see the progression from this timid, weak man to the guy who thinks nothing of jumping in front of a train. Now, admittedly, there's only so much you can in a 20 plus minutes or so of television so I do understand that but the thing about Bedeker is he's been so afraid of dying his whole life that he's never lived so it's a big jump from him spending all of his time in a sick bed to doing all of these crazy things when a man like this I think it would actually take time to build up for that there's so much that he hasn't done in life already that we as you know normal people who go about our day-to-day life would take for granted admittedly we don't really know how much time has passed between when we see Bedeker strike the deal to get all these powers and the first time he jumps under a train so it might be that we're supposed to take this progression as read you know that's a that's fair enough and it turns out there were actually quite a lot of deletions to this script before it filmed because it was just too long. It just wouldn't fit into one episode. So I do wonder whether in the original script that progression was a little bit more gradual. 
Now, in Rod Sailing's original treatment that I mentioned earlier, the main character was called Frank Conacher. In this version, he was an innate coward. But after he gets immortality, he becomes a kind of world-renowned daredevil, flying test planes and doing stunts and so on. So when he starts to become bored, that's when he starts to turn to crime to get his kicks and eventually gets caught for something. You see, that seems like much more of a logical progression to me, but saying that, I think you could probably also make the case for the fact that Bedeker wasn't a nice person to begin with. He, he seemed to hate people, so I guess whereas most people would seek out fame and fortune and adoration and so on, he just went straight for the money, so, you know, that's fair enough too. But here's the thing with this episode, if... I look at it with a less critical eye, perhaps more in the frame of mind of a casual viewer, especially when you think that it's followed two quite heavy episodes, you know. I think that it's still really enjoyable in its own right, especially if you're watching season one in order, it arrives just at the right time, it's an ideal palate cleanser, a little dark comic relief. Especially perfect for a Twilight Zone marathon, I think. So I, I think under those circumstances it works really well. It's not probably an episode that I would pluck out and choose to watch on its own. But if I was sitting down, you know, going through a good few episodes of the Twilight Zone, I think it's ideal Twilight Zone marathon material. So before we leave this one, I think one final little piece of trivia. It's It's been a few years now since I've been on it, but it's an excellent attraction and it really has such a great Twilight Zone atmosphere to it. And I'm talking of course about the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror that's at some Disney resorts. I went to the one at MGM Studios in Florida. Now if you've never been and you ever get the chance to, I really recommend that you do. You know, if I can gather enough information about it, then perhaps I'll do an episode on that in the future itself, you know, because I think it, it really is excellent. It's all based in a hotel where there's a, where there's a suitably Twilight Zone-esque occurrence happened. I can't recall the exact details, but I think some people disappeared in the elevator or something. I can't quite remember, but... The ride itself is actually on an elevator and it takes you up and then drops you down. You know, there's a lot of Twilight Zone touches throughout the whole attraction, alluding to certain things, and on an actual wall plaque somewhere within the attraction, it says that the elevator was last inspected by Mr. Cadwallader on October 2nd, 1959, which was the date that the Twilight Zone first debuted. There's a saying, every man is put on earth, condemned to die. Time and method of execution unknown. Perhaps this is as it should be. Case in point, Walter Bedecker, lately deceased. A little man with such a yen to live. Beaten by the devil, by his own boredom, and by the scheme of things in this, the Twilight Zone. I, I'd like to thank everyone for their patience with the podcast over the past couple of weeks. As as I said in the last episode, my I unfortunately got a cold and my voice went from bad to worse. In, in the episode where I presented that episode of The Zero Hour, you could hear it was on its way out. Well, 
it just got worse from then on in and I literally had no voice so unfortunately I couldn't I couldn't record any episodes of the podcast now it's it's back for the most part now so hopefully hopefully we can get things back up and running I think with the amount of episodes of the Twilight Zone and the length of time this project's going to complete it's it's inevitable that I'm going to need to take weeks off every now and again for holidays or or whatever but I really didn't want to have to do that so soon I wanted to get a good few episodes under my belt before I took a break for any reason so I really want to try and concentrate on getting getting back on track and getting a good few episodes under my belt first but I got a few people I need to thank first of all uh, another couple of iTunes reviews one from a friend of my other podcast who's now thankfully listening to this one too Neil from Brighton he left me a review on the UK iTunes and I really appreciate that thank you man and also a person by the name of Sam Cott over on the US iTunes left me a review which which is great and I really appreciate that too see the thing about the iTunes reviews is it really helps get the podcast noticed because what I've noticed on iTunes is there are podcasts using the name of the Twilight Zone that aren't actually about the Twilight Zone. Things like comedy podcasts or music podcasts and so on. Which is, I guess, all all fine. I'm not saying that they shouldn't do that. But if someone is looking for a podcast about the Twilight Zone, those iTunes reviews really you know help get this podcast noticed i think and hopefully stand out from the podcasts that aren't actually about the twilight zone so uh so thanks again i, I really appreciate that now during my my little break there i've actually had a few emails off people a few correspondence which is great you know i i really i really like that interaction with other twilight zone fans and um, one from a gentleman called jamie i'm not actually going to read his his email at this point he makes some very kind comments about the podcast and that he's enjoying it and so on which is great but his email was concerning his favorite episode of all time which is a season one episode so i will be discussing it in the relatively near future it's called the after hours so i'm going to save those comments for that episode but i just did want to get in my thanks to jamie for sending those comments across I've also had a few emails from a gentleman called Mike from Drexel Hill in the USA and he said hi Tom this is the first actual episode of the podcast I've listened to I've been waiting to catch episodes you're discussing on the sci-fi channel and I wanted to say I was really impressed your show has great production values and the audio clips from the Twilight Zone are particularly nice and you've had some thoughtful observations to share and he's looking forward to catching up with future episodes of the podcast he did actually point out a couple of issues with the website thetwilightzonepodcast.com where he was having some difficulty posting comments now i would imagine a couple of people have probably had the same problem so first of all thanks mike for pointing that out and i have actually had the problems looked at and I think the the comments function is actually fixed now. So if anyone wants to go to the twilightzonepodcast.com and leave comments about either the Twilight Zone podcast or Chris over in the Night Gallery podcast, that should be up and running now. If anyone does have trouble, please, by all means, email me at feedback at the twilightzonepodcast.com and I'll try and get that sorted out. So thanks for that, Mike. 
Now, Mike actually fed back on a, a couple more episodes of the Twilight Zone 2 on the 16mm shrine. He says, Maybe you felt you were in the minority, but I agree with you. The 16mm shrine is not a standout episode, in my opinion. I wonder if it might actually have worked better as one of the fourth season hour-long episodes. It seems like the story would have been more in keeping with the zone spirit had we been able to follow Barbara Jean into the film world where she then discovered that all was not as great as she thought it would be. I think that's a, that's an interesting point. Depending on how vindictive Sailing had wanted to be, Barbara could have either been condemned to an unhappy life in the past or more accurately in the make-believe world of her films or she could have come back a changed woman taking the role of the mother in the new film and had and had that productive career that you quite rightly point out she could have had as it stands the ending is it seems supposed to be taken as a happy one Barbie gets her wish but it is a horrific sight because we can't live in the past forever and I wish that had been the moral of the story now Mike also made makes uh, some nice points about the last episode walking distance he said I especially appreciate you drawing parallels between walking distance and the 16mm shrine as many of the same thoughts has occurred to me. They make a nice pair and would work well for back-to-back -back viewing followed by group discussion in lit literature classes and so on. I haven't heard Sailing's Q&A session but as you seem to think I think he is unnecessarily harsh on what is in the end a lovely and effective episode. The temptation to linger in our past is so powerful, says this 39-year-old fan whose interest in the Twilight Zone is to some extent motivated by nostalgia for when he discovered it at 10 years old. And Martin's father's line, there's only one summer per customer, this is that little boy's summer, don't make him share it, is a really beautifully put truth. I don't care so much for Gig Young's performance, he seems to me to be simply going through the motions, but perhaps I'm being overly critical. His father seems like much more of a fully realised character, even though he is on screen for far less time. And Mike goes on to say, I wonder if that middle narration was intended not to cover weaknesses in the story as Sailing apparently said, but perhaps to experiment with bringing viewers up to speed after a commercial break, kind of like the captain's logs in the original Star Trek were meant to. Maybe, maybe. Good point, Mike. So, thanks for your input there, Mike. And like I say, if anyone wants to send feedback on past or upcoming episodes, then by all means, send me either emails or audio feedback to feedback at thetwilightzonepodcast.com. So, just one more quick mention before I go to a guy who's become a good friend of the show also a gentleman by the name of luke owen but not only is luke a fan of the twilight zone and the night gallery but he's spent the last couple of years creating his own show that is in a lot of ways inspired by the twilight zone called the collector's room and you can actually watch this on the internet for free and it's at thecollectorsroom.co.uk uh, I, I checked out the first episode and I'm looking forward to this there's three episodes in total and I'm looking forward to checking out the other two as well and I would encourage you to do the same and support a, uh, a great independent project I think so next time we'll be discussing an episode called The Lonely now this is one of the episodes of The Twilight Zone that really sticks in my mind so I'm looking forward to revisiting that I, I do hope to do that next week 
not you know I'm not necessarily going to be taking a break for Christmas but we'll see we'll see how crazy that we get but I, I do want to try and you know really get back on the horse and start putting episodes out again so I guess all that's really left to say is I, I wish you all a, a happy and safe holidays and I, I hope you all enjoy yourselves and as a lot of you are probably aware the 25th of December is not only Christmas Day but it's actually Rod Serling's birthday as well so I'll be raising a glass to the great man on that day and I hope you will too so Merry Christmas everyone bye bye